From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. We're so glad that you are uh, here with us watching this morning. Uh, If it's your first time here tuning in to Parkway Live, why don't you let us know in the comments? We would love to connect with you. We're so glad that you are all here. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Pastor Mitch. I'm a pastor here at Parkway, and I'm so excited to be sharing this morning. Um, Hope everybody's keeping well. Let's pray before we turn to the Word of God. Lord God, we just thank you, even though in these unknown times, Lord, we thank you that you've made a way for us to still gather uh, over the internet, Lord, that we can still be one body. Lord, we thank you that you are not bound, that your kingdom is not bound by geography or by borders, but God, you can transcend all things, and through this time, you have used this time for us to learn new ways to connect with one another. We pray, Father, um, that you would just uh, speak to us this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come into all of our homes or wherever we're watching from today, that you would speak to us, make us more like you. And we ask that you would anoint our hearts to receive your word today. And everybody at home said, amen. So today um, we are going to be speaking from Mark chapter 5. So if you want to open up your Bibles, whether you've got a real Bible or you have a physical, uh, or I mean, or an app on your phone, open up to Mark chapter 5. I will be reading primarily from the NIV today. So when I was younger, I was about eight years old. And I, I was a big Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Now, I have to say, the older I grow, the less I like hockey. I've tried to like hockey again. I just have fallen out of love with it. But I, when I was young, I was about seven, eight years old. I lived in the Barrie area, okay, where um, my favorite hockey player of all time lived. And I was sitting at Swiss Chalet with my parents after church because that's what a lot of church people do, right? We go home, we go to, after church, we go to Swiss Chalet, and then we go home and sleep because Sunday is God's holy day, and that's how he wants us to spend it. So we're there, we're at Swiss Chalet. I'm about eight or nine years old, I can't remember, and uh, I'm sitting there drawing with my crayons because Swiss Chalet always gave us a, a fresh pack of crayons, fresh uh, coloring stuff, loved them for it, still love them for it. And in walks Toronto Maple Leafs goaltender, Curtis Joseph. Now, I don't know if any of you have been longtime Toronto Maple Leafs fans, but if you have, you will know exactly who Curtis Joseph is. He was the only reason the Toronto Maple Leafs ever even came close to the playoffs that year. And they made it and then lost to the, um, the hurricane that year. Um, but Curtis Joseph was my childhood idol, okay? Um, I had, I think at the time, three posters of him on my walls, and every time at school we would have our scholastic book fair, I would rush past the books. I'm like, I don't care about the books. I'm like, where are the Curtis Joseph posters? Because every year there was a new one. And I had three posters on my wall. So in walks, in the Swiss Chalet on a Sunday afternoon, in walks Curtis Joseph. And the funny thing is, Curtis Joseph went to a church um, whose pastor was a friend of my parents. So I'm sitting there coloring, and my parents say, hey, Mitch, look, Curtis Joseph just walked in. And I looked up at them, and I said, guys, stop. Stop playing around. I was smart enough to think, well, I thought I was smart enough to know they were messing with me. And they're like, no, there's Cujo right there. And I'm like, 
guys, just leave me alone. And then they're like, just look up. And I looked up, and just as I looked up, Curtis Joseph, Toronto Maple Leafs, all-star goaltender, walks by and sits down about two tables away. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Just his presence, his, the sheer idea of him being in the same room as me, when you're like eight or nine years old and I watch him on TV, was too much for my brain to handle. So my dad goes up to his friend who's a pastor, who was actually Curtis Joseph's pastor at a church in Barrie, and he says, hey, my son is a huge fan. Like when I say huge fan, I mean he draws pictures of you, he has posters of you on his wall, three posters in fact, He's absolutely obsessed. Can he come and meet you? Long story short, I walk over and I meet Curtis Joseph face to face. And supposedly my reaction was I stood perfectly still. And he said, hey, how are you? And I said, good. And he was like, my name's Curtis. What's your name? I was like, Mitch. I was so scared of him in person. The idea, just the, the idea that he was six inches away from me it was just blowing my mind. It's almost like my brain just stopped working and I was just running on, on like adrenaline at that point. I don't know what was going on. But just his presence was enough to get me to completely lose my mind. So we're going to go, uh, let's look back to Mark chapter 5. We're going to see how this relates in a second. But we're going to look at the story of Jesus um, who cast out the demons in the demon-possessed man. Okay, many of you know this story. It's the man that lived in the tombs. And uh, the interesting thing is this happened, this incident of Jesus casting out the demons of the demon-possessed man happened right after Jesus had calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just said to the disciples, um, we are going to head over to the other side um, because he was following the command and the will of the Holy Spirit. And he said, we're going to go to the other side because we have stuff to do there. So they hopped on a boat. Many of you know that story. Uh, the waves start coming. Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. And the disciples start freaking out because they're like, we're going to die. And Jesus is asleep. So they wake him up. He calms the storm. And the rest is history. They make it over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And this, what we're about to read, starting at verse 1, is what happens next. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Some translations say immediately the man came to meet Jesus. And this is important. We're going to look to that in a second. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore his chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day... Among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. 
The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. So thanks for hanging around. That was a bit of a long passage. And for many, it's kind of a bizarre passage. It's like this man who has countless demons living inside of him uh, meets Jesus, asks him to not torture him, and then Jesus sends the demons into a herd of swine who then jump off a cliff and drown themselves. It's actually kind of a bizarre passage. Um, But I have a question for you. Have you ever met someone who does exactly what they say? Or somebody who um, they they say something or they declare that they're going to do something and you know that it's going to be done? It's somebody who's a person of their word. You know, people, there's that old saying that a man is only as good as his word. Does anybody come to your mind when you think that? Jesus, again, had just finished calming the storm. It was actually quite a miracle that Jesus and the disciples had made it across the water because such um, a powerful storm had it. In fact, the Sea of Galilee was famous for having very strong storms back in those times. It was very hard to uh, sail across. But the disciples shouldn't have freaked out when they left and when the storm came simply because Jesus had stated, let's go to the other side. And I don't know about you, but I believe that Jesus is a man of his word. And when Jesus declared on the other side of the shore, when he declared, we are going to the other side, that meant they were going to the other side. Now, Jesus said they would reach across, and they reached across. Now he comes and he casts out demons, a legion of demons, with what? What does he use? He uses his word. Jesus doesn't walk up and he doesn't smack the guy across the face a bunch of times. You know, he doesn't give him, you know, the, uh, the rock people's elbow or anything like that. He just walks up to the man and he says, leave him. He simply spoke. And the legion of, of demonic spirits had no choice but to leave him because Jesus spoke those words. And Jesus' words are so powerful and Jesus is a man of his word. So when he speaks something... It happens. So Jesus comes to the man, tells them to leave, and they had no other choice but to listen because Jesus has authority over these spirits. Jesus has authority over the evil spirits that were in this man. So why the pigs, first of all? Let's take a little meander for a second. Why the pigs? It doesn't, the Bible's not totally clear. Scripture isn't 100% upfront with why Jesus allowed them to go uh, into the pigs. Some people actually think, um, there are some people who have false beliefs that Jesus actually sinned by having the deal with the demon saying, fine, you can go here, as if he was compromising with them. But some scholars actually believe The reason he allowed them to go into the pigs was because pigs were considered unclean animals. And we know that when Jesus came and he died for our sins on the cross, he fulfilled the Old Testament law. But he was accused of not liking or hating or uh, saying that the Old Testament law is false. So some scholars believe this was his way of reiterating, nope, God's law is good. These pigs are unclean, but I am here to fulfill the law. So we just looked at the power of Jesus' words. 
He did, what he, would, he did what he would say he would do, and everything he says happens. So now let's look at the power of Jesus' presence. When you look, this story is also recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And um, for those of you who, who don't know, Luke was actually a physician. So Luke, what's interesting when you read um, the different Gospels is Luke's account uh, he tends to have a very different um, perspective, and he describes things in a lot more de- in certain medical details, or he describes things in different ways than the other gospel writers did. I actually really enjoy going through the story of Luke because a lot of the details that I find interesting, Luke tends to include in his gospel. And Luke's account of this story says that when Jesus came to the shore, that the man met him as he was getting out of the boat. It doesn't say that the man hung around for a while, heard Jesus was coming and ran. It actually says that as Jesus was still climbing out of the boat, the legion of demons caused the man to run up to Jesus' feet. It doesn't sound that important of a detail, but but think about this. Before Jesus even spoke, before Jesus even stepped foot on the shore, there was a shift in the spiritual realm enough for the legion of demons to go, wait a sec, something just happened. Somebody's here. There's something powerful here. There's something with authority here, enough to send them running toward Jesus before he even hit the shore. This man fell to the feet of Jesus before Jesus even introduced himself. Do you know why? Because he didn't need to introduce himself because his presence was enough for the demons to know what was going on. The legion understood Jesus' power. The legion understood who Jesus was. When he pulled up to the shore, they could sense something has has changed that they're about to be in big trouble. Kind of like when, you know, your dad asks you to take out the chicken that's frozen by five o'clock because he's coming home from work, and then he rolls around at five o'clock and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I forgot to take out the chicken. (laughs) And you see the car pull up in the driveway and you're just like, "Uh uh-oh. Kind of wonder if that's what it was like, but probably a lot more serious than that. So Jesus steps onto the shore, there's a shift in the spiritual realm, and his power was made known even before he spoke. I know I'm repeating myself, but I want to to articulate how powerful the presence of Jesus is, especially to those who know who Jesus is. So that term, spiritual realm... That term spiritual realm might seem a little superficial, might seem a little strange to some people. It might even seem like it's not real. That term um, is actually, that, that theme of spiritual realm is all over scripture. Without the spiritual realm, scripture and, and Jesus coming to earth and dying for our sins can't exist. The spiritual realm is real and it's and it's close to us, but it's more complex than us people will ever understand. You know, when, we, when you hear that word spiritual realm, I often, the thing that, first thing that pops into my head is usually, you know, angels and demons and prayer. 
that kind of thing, in spirits, good spirits, bad spirits. And a lot of people, when they hear the scary word possession, when you hear somebody was possessed by a demon, we often think, you know, and it's obviously not the way it goes, but we often think of the Hollywood version of demon possession, you know, like eyes turning red, head spinning all the way around five times and levitating and doing flips up in the air. But a better word, I would say, for being possessed by a spirit would be having, um, would be as a spirit gaining control over somebody or something. Better word for possession would be to gain control over. So I want to clarify a couple of things um, for, for those watching at home. Believers in Jesus cannot be possessed. People have asked me that in the past. I've had young junior high students ask me, Pastor Mitch, can I be possessed by a demon? And I'm like, no, you can't. Because where the power of Jesus is, they can also not exist. We see in this story, the fact that Jesus walked onto the shore was too much for them to handle. That, that, that cannot happen. But, sorry. Let's read in uh, Daniel chapter 10. This is a great example of the spiritual realm and how that works and how there is so much happening when we pray, when we cry out to Jesus, when God answers prayers, there's so much happening that we can't see in the physical realm that we are totally unaware of. If you read in Daniel chapter 10, um, you'll read of an angel coming and um, had a message from God for Daniel but the angel was actually delayed, and it says it right there, you can read it in Daniel 10, that the angel was delayed 21 days because it was in an actual fight with a demonic spirit and was held captive, had to call for backup for another angel to come and help Balaam out. Obviously, that's my wording, but that's the gist of the story. There is so much happening in the spiritual realm, we don't understand, but we need to be careful with how we treat the spiritual realm. Whether we um, dismiss it as not being real or important or dismissing it as it doesn't affect me very much or whether sometimes I believe we can focus too much on it. A good way um, to word this is the author C.S. Lewis who wrote one of my favorite uh, books of all time. I actually just read uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe just a couple uh, months ago. I uh, shredded through it in like a day because I couldn't remember how much I loved it. It's such a good, good story. But C.S. Lewis, um, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, there are two groups of people that Satan absolutely loves and gets excited over, the skeptic and the superstitious. I'm going to say that again. There are two groups of people that Satan loves and gets excited over, the skeptic and the superstitious. So let's look at those that are superstitious, okay? Those, as C.S. Lewis describes, the superstitious are people who see demons and angels behind every bush. They believe that every sickness, every bit of pain, Every bit of suffering and sin and thing that goes wrong is always 100% of the time caused by a demonic spirit. They believe that every time we sin, it's caused by a demonic influence. 
they'll say things, they're going to, I'm going to read you Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, but they often take this out of context. They'll, they'll argue that point saying, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's, it's not that this verse isn't telling the truth. We are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual. But that doesn't, that what this verse is not trying to communicate is that every single thing that always happens is always because of a demonic influence. I actually think they're giving the devil too much credit by having that view. It almost sounds like a cop-out answer, being like, well, the only reason that I sin is because of a demonic influence. Sometimes we just sin because we're dumb, right? I sin because I'm dumb. I'm just going to say it. I love all of you watching at home. I don't think you're dumb. And Jesus loves you even more. Now there's the skeptic, an equally as dangerous view. Those who don't believe in demons or angels or strongholds, they believe that demonic possession and uh, seeing angels in dreams, that kind of thing, that only happened in Scripture and in Jesus' time, and that's kind of all erased, and it's just us on here on earth left. But it's equally as harmful uh, to be a skeptic as it is superficial. I believe some people, I believe there's people watching this stream right now that stay in bondage, that you're stuck in bondage because they write things off as a sin issue when really there could be oppression from the enemy. When in fact, there could be a spirit being sent against you to attack. I believe that there could be spirits sent against your family, your job, your marriage. But we write it off as a sin issue and our prayers aren't directed correctly. We're not, both of these views, the skeptic and the superficial, both lead you to take the incorrect action. The Bible also shows us that evil spirits actually have geographical dwellings. In that story in Daniel chapter 10, the evil spirit was actually known as the Prince of Persia. Some of you may have heard that phrase before. So the Bible shows us that evil spirits actually have physical geographical regions on earth where they dwell. So one could say that Sarnia Lampton has a spirit sent against it to take down believers and drag everybody else down with it. That Canada has spirits designated to certain geographical areas to take the people there down. But what did Jesus ultimately give this demon-possessed man? He gave this man freedom. This man walked away with freedom after encounter with Jesus. This man was in bondage. Now he was physically and spiritually free from his bondage. Many passages, such as that in John 8, discuss Christ setting us free. Now, that verse that says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, what does that imply? It implies that there was 
bondage before. If we were already free to begin with, then what is there to be set free from? It implies that we were captive before Jesus set us free. But listen to me. Captivity can take many different forms. Captivity can be oppression by evil spirits. Again, I'm not talking Hollywood. I'm not talking your head spinning all the way around and having your voice really, really deep. But I'm talking spirits sent against you to drag you away from Jesus. Not that they dwell within you, but they're an outside force attacking your spirit. We who are given salvation by Jesus, we no longer have to spend eternity in hell separate from Jesus. Firstly, I just want to say amen and thank you, Jesus, for that. Because of his salvation and because of his freedom that he's given us, we don't have to spend eternity away from him. We have freedom from sin. However, this story of the, the man that Jesus set free gives us another angle of salvation, I believe. Because this man, when he met with Jesus, didn't necessarily receive salvation. He might have, but he received freedom from demonic oppression. And I believe that when Jesus bought our freedom on the cross, he did not just buy us freedom from hell and sin, but he actually bought us freedom from the enemy, from the oppression, from the bondage of evil. That there's a freedom offered to each one of us, and some of us have strongholds within us that we don't even realize are there, that we have the answer to, and the answer is Jesus, but we're just unaware that it's there, that this freedom's available to us. So, how do we find our freedom? How do we find our freedom? Many of us, and I'll say it again, many of us are probably living in bondage. Bondage that we're so used to being in, that we're so used to carrying, that we don't realize it's there. I believe there's people in here that have been crying out to Jesus to set them free from something, from a sin issue, or set them free from, you know, a, a habit that they just can't break. And while sometimes it is just us, I believe many times there's actually the enemy oppressing us, but our prayers are directed at ourselves instead of attack. We, we take a defensive stance instead of an offensive stance against the enemy. The enemy's not stupid. I, I, the enemy is smarter than we are. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we can't do anything alone. That's why we can't do our faith by ourselves. The enemy is currently attacking people of Parkway Church, people of Sarnia, people of Corona, this whole Lambton region. The enemy is attacking their marriages, their finances, their jobs, their families, their habits. The enemy is going, is, is going full bore against people's lives, but often... We're crying out to God for a change of heart when sometimes it's not a change of heart. Sometimes we need to take the offensive and say, God, break the stronghold in me. 
Jesus, the enemy is attacking my family. There's, there's influence that I can't see. There's influence I don't understand. But I know that you're the answer. Jesus gives us a gift called discernment. Discernment is the ability to see, um, to have, to be sensitive in the spiritual realm, sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work, but also sensitive to the enemy's work. And we serve a God who is greater than the enemy, whose very footsteps made the enemy tremble, whose very words caused a legion of evil spirits to have to leave a man because they had no other choice because the power of Jesus' voice was more than they could handle or more than they could fight against. So how come us believers don't always see freedom? You might be saying, Pastor Mitch, you're saying that I have this freedom available to me that Jesus provides that the word of God is enough, and if Jesus says we're free, well, how come I'm not free yet? That doesn't really make sense. For Jesus to free this man, him and his disciples had to hop in a boat, go across the Sea of Galilee through a storm, and arrive at the beach. His disciples needed to trust in Jesus. They needed to trust that when Jesus said, let's go across, that they were going to get across. They needed to trust that Jesus was as powerful as he says he was. So here's my question to you people watching. Are some of you still scared to get in the boat with Jesus? Are any of you watching, looking for freedom, but you keep falling short, trying to overcome your habits, and you just can't get over them, trying to repair your marriage or your family, no matter if you're going to counseling, you're, you're trying to change the way that, that you behave, the way that you communicate with your family. It's just not working. Are you afraid to get in the boat with Jesus because you're afraid of what might happen next? And when I say that, I don't mean you're afraid to follow Jesus or call yourself a Christian or, or give your life over to him. I'm talking about being a disciple of Jesus, hopping in the boat, going through a storm, knowing that Jesus is with you. That when Jesus asks you to go somewhere or to do something or to give your life to him in this area or to sacrifice this area of your life, are you hopping in the boat with him and saying, all right, I'm here? Are you on the offensive with Jesus? Or are you kind of cowering in a defensive stance? Because this man would not have had the legion of demons cast out of him had Jesus not hopped in the boat, gone over, and met him. So some of you are maybe still stuck on the other side of the shore. Maybe you need to go through a storm with Jesus to build your faith. Maybe you need to see an incredible act of God in a different area of your life so you can see his incredible power at work in your own life. Because calming the storm and casting out demons out of a man are two very different events, but it's all done by the same thing, by the word of God. So maybe you need to see Jesus at work in one area so you can see him come through in your life, in your stronghold. 
Um, if I could get you, Josh, to come play some guitar and make me sound a lot nicer. You can put background music in front of anything. But I want to ask you, wherever you're watching from, I kind of want to, I want to ask you that. Are you still at the other end of the shore? When I say that, is there a certain area in your life that you say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not giving that to Jesus. I'm not hopping in the boat. When he asked me to do that, I didn't do it. Is there an area in your life that you may know is a sin issue, but you're writing it off as oppression from the enemy, and you might be saying like, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. Because believe it or not, I've heard, that, I've heard that said before. Are you too afraid to give more of your life to Jesus, or are you too afraid to be set free because it means you have more responsibility? Because Jesus didn't just cast demons out of the man. When he did it, he expected his disciples to do the same thing. He, he was teaching them. He was guiding them. He was leading them. It wasn't just, come watch this spectacle and then have it. Ha have the rest of your day off. Jesus expected them and expects us, after seeing him, to do the same thing. It was training day. It was the disciples' orientation. It was spiritual realm 101 for the disciples. So are you scared of freedom because it means more responsibility? Ask yourself, what are some strongholds in my life? If you were at Wednesday night prayer, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. There may be strongholds in your life that you need to identify. And I'm being honest with you, everybody watching. I have strongholds that I know are in my life. On Wednesday night at prayer, Pastor Call stood up and said, does anybody have a stronghold that they, can, that they know right off the top of their head? And I, and I was the first one. I was like, yes, I know exactly what mine is. And I believe that there are areas in my life where the enemy knows it can get in. It has a back door, right? I might lock the front door, but he sneaks through the back door and knows right how to get in. What areas do you have a stronghold in your life? Where am I being influenced by the enemy? Have my prayers been misguided? Maybe I need to take an offense against the enemy instead of having defensive prayers. Prayers that are trying to keep myself on the treadmill of my faith, kind of lagging behind. Maybe I need to pull out the sword and say, okay, I'm fighting the enemy right now, let's go. Are there areas in your life that you haven't seen breakthrough because you haven't gotten in the boat with Jesus? I believe that there actually might be people who Jesus has specifically spoken to you and says, if you give me this area in your life, I will bless you in this area. But we're afraid to give it up because either it's an idol or we don't trust Jesus. Maybe for you, your idol is safety. Your idol might be safety. It might be, hey, I like where I'm at. I like the amount of work I'm doing for Jesus. I like the amount of times I go to church every month. I think I'm okay. But maybe there's a stronghold in your life that's not broken down because you're not getting in the boat. So I want to pray for everybody at home who's watching or wherever you're watching from. I want to pray with you and I'm going to be praying for myself as I do this. 
But I believe that Jesus wants to set the people of Parkway free. I believe that there's an incredible freedom available to us. We just need to get in the boat with Jesus. We need to say, Jesus, I'm here. I will fight where you want me to fight. I will go where you want me to go. And I'm no longer scared of the enemy. The word of God is stronger than any oppression the enemy can put on you. The enemy is smart, but it's not smarter than Jesus. The enemy's influence is stronger usually than our flesh can resist, than our wills can can fight against. But it's not nearly as strong as the word of God. The word of God that made the demons tremble. The same presence of God where his boat touching the shore was strong enough to make the, the demons tremble in fear. So if you're watching at home, why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's just pray together. Because the Holy Spirit that's in this room right now can be in our homes, uniting us together right now. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story. I thank you, Father, that you planned out the course of this whole trip of going across the Sea of Galilee, going through a storm, casting the demons out of this man, buying him freedom. But that was all planned. And it was planned to set that man free, but it was planned for us today so we know that we have the same freedom. Father, I pray for those in this room, Father, that are fighting um, with sin that they can't shake, with marriages that are falling apart no, no matter what they try, with family relationships that are rocky and shaky no matter what they do, that finances, no matter how much they try and save or to not spend, or uh, any addictions that go along with finances, but they just can't seem to get a grip on them. That our jobs, no matter how hard we try, we spin our wheels, we're just not getting there. Our jobs are not fulfilling. We might be losing our jobs. The areas that people are, are losing the battle with the enemy, Father, I pray that they would firstly take heart. I pray that they would be reminded of this story, that the simple word of Jesus is enough. So, Father, I pray for freedom in the people of this church, of this community. God, everybody who's tuning in right now, I just ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, go before them, that you would surround them, that they would feel the tangible presence of the Almighty God who makes the enemy shake at just a footstep would be with them. Father, that you would begin to break strongholds in this, in this community, in our hearts, in our families, Lord, that they would begin to break down. God, that we would have the steadfastness to, to take the offensive, not for a day, not for a week, but that we would take the offensive against the enemy until our strongholds are broken and we find freedom. God, that you would give us a steadfastness to hop in the boat, get to the other side, meet you at the shore and find our freedom. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us enough. That you love us enough to send your spirit with us, to get in the boat with us. God, if we did this alone, if you suddenly lifted your presence from us, we would lose, I think, a lot quicker than we think we would. So, Father, I just pray that you would continue to go before us, God, when it gets hard, when we get tired, when we feel like you're not working, when we don't see it, when we don't feel it, that we would know in the spiritual realm that you're working. 
like we've declared in this church for so many years, it is impossible to pray and have nothing happen. It is impossible to pray and have nothing happen. You are hearing us, you are seeing us, even when we don't see it or feel it, Lord. I pray that throughout the next week that you would go before us, Father, that as we gather um, in our homes or at our families or wherever we're watching from, Lord, that you would uh, bless us once again, that our worship, God, would be blessing to you, would put a smile on your face, Lord, and that you would keep us all safe until next week. God, we thank you, we love you, and we devote our lives to you, Father. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We hope that today uh, was a blessing to you, that you were encouraged today. We will see you next week, same place, same time. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.